0: va'era, Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, uh, through chapter 9, verse 35, and we picked up parallel passages there in Ezekiel 28 and 29, and also in Revelation chapter 16, and so that is what we're taking a look at here uh, today. Uh, and you have a comment before we get started?
1: Yes. Um it just came. It came to me as we were reading about Pharaoh repenting, 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 and yet he was really not repentant. And in the end, with the uh, with the revelation that was read uh, every time a bowl uh, was poured out on the mankind, they did not repent. And it just really touched my heart that there. Sometimes we do that too, you know, we say, oh, we're sorry, and then we go and do the same thing over again and again, and we're not really repentant. We really need to be repentant the way the Lord would honor, that we should honor the Lord that way and not turn back.
0: Indeed, and that's, that's one of the reasons why we go over this particular passage. You wonder why it is that we have the recounting of Passover. Why is that an annual thing? Well, it's because that is the land that we are all looking to leave and the one that the Lord is delivering us out of. But the question is, as it was expressed in another prophetic book, How many times will you be struck? In other words, it's almost a hearkening back to the Exodus. How many times, Paro, will you be struck before you will let go? And the same thing coming into the time of the end with the day of the Lord. How many times will you be struck before you will see who's number one who's really in charge where the real source of strength is and which side is actually the losing side on this and that is one of the the great lessons that you have of all of the plagues because just like with the days of creation you know there was actually a big thing that a lot of great thinkers have wondered about over the years why seven days of creation Well, why 10 plagues? Couldn't you just take it out with the 10th one? Because that that really drove it home. Just really hit right at the the big house, right at the great house, Haro, and took out the firstborn of Pharaoh. Because that's not just losing your son. When you're talking about a dynasty or a dynasty, Hitting your firstborn, you're talking about what? The crown prince. You're striking at the, the lineage of that dynasty. Because depending on what you've got lined up for other heirs to the throne, you take out the crown prince, there might not be another. There's been many times in many, many monarchies that have faced a crisis like that. Because not only they may not have had a crown prince, but the crown prince might have been a <laughs> undesirable. So, yes, uh, Rose, you have a comment uh, or a Dare question. I
2: say that's what Satan was trying to do when he said, crucify him, crucify him?
0: Yeah. Tried he was it. trying
2: to take out the crown prince? Yes. But little did indeed. he know, well, that, that <laughs> God was, had a plan.
0: That was one of the uh, parables that Yeshua told. And he's like, hey, you know... I take out and he's talking about the parable of the vineyard and you know one servant after another comes and they wipe out one after the other then he sends his son and they're like surely they're going to listen to the son of the owner of the vineyard but then they're thinking hey this is our big chance to truly take ownership over it so yeah who can think they can fight against God and that was indeed one of the great lessons that was going to be sent down to this superpower of the time period. And there was a, it's going to be a lesson that will be sent down to the superpowers of the day of the Lord as well. What are you really going to do? Who are you really going to follow? That is the lesson of it. And... As we see some of the other great lessons that we have of this particular section here, we see that you know our forebears have gone before us in the, in the body of God. They were charged to take this name of God to the nations. And we could ask ourselves, you know, are we really following and that charge to proclaim the name to the nations? We've talked earlier around the time of Hanukkah about what it means to blaspheme the name of God before the nations, to drag the name of God low, to, to make it of no effect or worse. And we've seen already so far in the book of Shemot, in these two Torah passages that we've already had so far, both Shemot last week and this one this week, that the name of the Lord factors in prominently and again we saw with our last passage is asked well who is the lord that i should obey him well he's getting an introduction to who the lord is in this particular passage just one after another after another uh introduction of who the lord is yeah be careful what you ask for do you really want the answer to that question who is the lord well that's one of the things that you see that's mentioned again and again, so that you will know who the Lord is. The Lord is God. And it's emphasized in here that what? That the earth is the Lord's. This The land is the Lord's. You may be declared the um, tenant and maybe be the manager of this particular land, Paro, but... Who is really the actual owner of it? So, listen, Kaiser or Caesar, um, you may have title to this land, but it's really only a lease. The real owner can just flick you right off of the map or send a rock to take your legs out. Uh, with the uh, figure of Daniel coming into with the prophecy of the prophet Daniel. Just cut them off right at the knees with the Roman Empire. So, and we can ask a question that we see that Paro is facing in this passage, and we'll see it again with the next passage as we pick up the last few plagues that come along. Are we hardening and strengthening our hearts against the plans of heaven? Or are we hardening and strengthening our hearts for the plans of heaven? Are we against or are we for them? Because we see in this particular passage, we mentioned this in years past, that there are a number of different words in Hebrew under the hood of this particular passage. One that's related to a term that we know well of kavod, which means what? Usually heavy glory, and such. Well, it's also used to mean stubborn. That's another way it can be translated, that you are, you are heavy, your feet won't move from a t- particular path or a position that you're in. The other word that you see used in here is chazak. Chazak is that idea of strengthening you, have courage. And so you have a particular thing that keeps happening in here, stubbornness and courage which can be good or it could be bad. So that can be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, to be stubborn and have courage. Because when you're talking about the ways of God, that you are stubborn, you will not be moved from these particular things. And when it looks like you could be moved off of your position, you are chazak, you're strengthened to have courage against whatever is coming against you so do we acknowledge that really our very lives that we know and that we know who's really in charge of the earth and yes you can see that there are shades and shadows of the messiah in this but instead of allegorizing or turning everything into a metaphor in this particular passage, it's important to remember that this really happened to a real superpower at a real time in history. So this is not just a, um, you could say a great uh, story that has a good moral at the end of it. It is actually something that happened in history. So... When we read, just like we saw in the book of Revelation in chapter 16, these things happening, they will indeed happen in the day of the Lord when they come around. And and as the lessons that we can pick up in what came down on Mitzrayim, on Egypt, and what didn't come down on Israel, those are lessons for the day of the Lord as well. So. When we are in the midst of these plagues that come along, how do we respond to them? Where is our kavod? Where is our chazak in this? Uh, Christine, you have a comment or a a question over there.
3: It's, uh, I guess what came to my mind is what I believe I'm hearing you say is, although the bible isn't a history book there is history real life history that can be documented but it's also a book of prophecy so the seed is in the torah of the prophecy and what's going on with our these plagues are important for us um just as you said you know are we hardening our heart against or for and i'm really excited about the teaching and um yeah, this morning I was talking to a peer and just talking about our very breath is dependent. Mm-hmm. We just take so much for granted, and the patterns and principles that are set in the Torah that we see unfold in the Book of Revelation, um, they won't be exact, but there'll be great similarities that we could. Those that are students of the Bible will be able to hopefully recognize.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed. Because one of the most toxic things that you see that's brought forth in a number of the modern modern believers is that the Bible is true is even if it is not true, is what you'll hear some say. The Bible is true even if it is not true, which means that, oh, you may read things in there, but, you know, it didn't really happen. It's just there is a lesson, a moral, a, a good teaching but the problem though is, is that you could also say the corollary is true it's not true so it's not true and you've seen some people over time will do the same things related to the prophecies about the restoration of Israel well that was an alternate reality it would have happened if they were uh, if they had Obeyed God, but since they didn't obey God, all those promises of restoration of the kingdom, etc., that's all alternate reality. No. Then what do we do with the other promises of God? What do we do with all the promises that we just said, that we just saw in this particular passage? I saw you, I heard you, I'm going to redeem you, I will take you out of this house of bondage. Is that going to fall into the realm of an alternate reality now? No. So, the it's a toxic teaching that you have out there that it's true even if it is not true. No. You you start taking that route, you can start writing off a whole lot of God's promises in the process. Uh, yes, and you have a comment or a question?
1: Yes. Uh, I think that somewhere it says, why halt you between two things? If God be God, go with God. Yeah. If it, If he not be God, then go with Baal, but don't 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 go back and forth, you know that's the whole thing about the strengthening of our hearts and hardening of our hearts and back and forth we go, and we are just terribly confused and agitated and just decide one thing or the other,
0: yeah, well, I mean you just just think of what would happen if you were to uh put that up to a pole. Let's see, we've got one guy on this mountain, and then we got. 400-plus over on that mountain. Um, Hmm. See, Eliyahu's over there by himself. And, wow, look at all these people over here. Plus, they have the endorsement of the government. Uh, Hmm. Well, thus we don't put things like that up to a popularity vote. Because some of these things, you will be going against the grain. Because you see that in our particular passage, Moshe and Aharon are showing up before Paro even at the angst of the people of Israel. Because remember what happened in our last passage. They're like, they, they come back in, they, they give these, they show these signs to the elders of Israel, then suddenly, uh-oh, go make your bricks without straw. So go out, forage for your own straw, but then keep up with your quota of bricks. You can't slow that down. So keep keep making them because you're going to be demanded to continue to make them, but you're going to have to come up with your own stuff over time. And that's similar to what we've seen in just recent years where you've had some forces that will say, uh, well, you know we'll cut off this we'll cut off say your your tax status we'll cut off your job we'll cut off your bank account we've seen that what happened to some of our brothers and sisters up in canada where they've just systematically cut them off one thing after another they in the sense have had to go after out after their own straw while still trying to keep their (laughs) businesses to pay their taxes oh those won't slow down whatsoever but yeah, they'll, they'll come after their livelihood in the process. So what is our response? Do we yell and say, why, ha- why God have you brought this down upon us? Have you, you know, gone against the ministers of God who've said, hey, they're, they're telling you to kavod and chazak related to the words of God, to be stubborn in the words of God, and be, take courage in the words of God. But we can get rattled by that and say, no, hey, <laughs> this is getting to be too much, too much of a hassle, too much uh, sacrifice and suffering in the process. So it's, yeah, too much work indeed. So when we look at this particular passage that of Vaera, but see that it's this running it starts up with this discussion of the name which is it gets to be an interesting discussion in itself and where we'll be spending most of our time here today but then goes over the genealogy of israel which seems to be a strange sort of non-sequitur that's in here in the midst of a discussion Suddenly, you've got a genealogy inserted in the middle of it. And then you've got Moshe and Aharon start performing these signs before Pharaoh. That doesn't get his attention because some of his own people start performing these signs, even though you could say, well, you should get a clue from the sign of the staffs and the fact that the staffs of his magicians get swallowed up. So... Um, when you when you think of the staffs, especially in some of the more, um, you could say, sophisticated civilizations, such as Egypt, you see some signs in the, the artwork that they have in either in their um, papyrus or on their Stella, their engravings that they have, that these staffs were pretty ornate. Uh-oh, you just lost it. You just lost your your nice staff of status because it just got eaten up by the shepherd who came in here with a a staff on it, a wooden staff, and it you lost all of your other signs of status, got eaten up by this shepherd staff uh yes, Deborah, go ahead um,
4: you know long ago, I was told that um long I mean when I first was you know um my grandmother or one of the they said that the family staffs um, were carved with um, your history, the yes. family's history. So when, I mean, that's how, why I can believe that Judah had given it up to Tamar, that he'd given her all of those things. So, I mean, I think it's so much more deeper. And as every year that we study it, God will, 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 will reveal more, but. You know, it's um, just, you know. There's something very profound about, you know, the leaders and that, that the way that they're carved. Can you imagine? I mean, I know that the um, Asian people, uh, have a lot of ornate in-
0: and also in Africa. I saw some right? of oh, um, really? some oh. of uh, um, oh, the Sam's uh, relatives when they were there. I actually saw one. I was asking about their, it. And, oh, my goodness! And uh, had the engravings oh. and such on it. So I, that's yes.
4: one thing I'd say, God, God, you know what? You know, not to love the world, but I would just really love to go and see things before it becomes destroyed. Like mm. the, the blue, the water, the white sand, all of the travels in Africa, mm. England it would be so wonderful just to go, you know, if I, I feel jealous because people go traveling to all these places. And to me, I would love to see these historical monuments,
0: and I never will. Well, I mean, that's one of the, the benefits of documentaries. I mean, you can, you can see a whole, a whole lot of things. So yes. Uh, yeah, ben, ben and I, did you have a comment or a question over there?
5: Uh, I was um, a pondering about uh, when you were talking about when the signs and the wonders um, were being performed by uh, Moses and Aaron, and how then the oppression uh, for those that uh, were in bondage, you know, basically by Pharaoh, uh, how they to go out and to make bricks at the same quota,
1: um,
5: but now without having uh, the straw supplied to them, like usually... Um, so with that thought being suspended there for a minute, I was thinking about the two witnesses. So, Revelation, similar plagues, similar plagues of when Egypt was going on, and then the two witnesses that are going to be in Jerusalem, but it says all the nations. That means that when you look at all the nations, that means that all the nations are affected by that. It's not just just to Jerusalem. But that it's all the nations you know, that rejoiced when they basically were slain in the street. So I'm wondering, pondering, thinking that uh, it's going to be that type for all the believers, uh, Jews and Gentiles at that time throughout the whole earth, is that it's going to be that type of oppression. They're going to be specifically targeted, you know, basically to go, do those, go make those bricks, you know, whatever it may be, the happiness, the burdensome, you know, the specifically the persecution of when those two witnesses, like Moses and Aaron, but now the two witnesses, are going to bring about that same type of heaviness. Yeah. You know, it's actually to liberate us and for us to come out of Mystery Babylon and to come out from, you know, the things of this world and to set our, our mind on, on the things above. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring, bring that uh, pondering in my heart to, to everybody. Mm. Yes.
0: Uh, Pat, uh, you've got your hand up and then uh, Eske here
2: just something real quick something i had seen on the internet that they took down real quick there were women in iran that had converted to christianity and of course they get killed well they put those women up on a cross hung them on crosses to die and yet they didn't with that kind of a threat did not repent or turn away from god so we also have to trust god to strengthen us to face whatever we're going to deal
0: with indeed indeed yeah i mean we've seen that in iran and we saw that also with isis we've seen that recently with nigeria um this definitely our brothers and sisters all over the world are facing all kinds of challenges like this so when you think of kazakh the courage being strengthened. Yeah, that's not something for way, way, way long ago. This is something for today. It's for the day of the Lord. Yes. Uh, yes, SK, go ahead, please.
6: Um, so I apologize because this uh, question that I've had for a while got brought up in last week's uh, Torah t- uh, teachings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with- well, these are definitely
0: connected, so go ahead. Yeah, well, with the
6: word when God tells Moses, his name mm. to call, you know, what yes. do I say to the people of Israel? And then he says, and it's the vowels. So, you know, it's the vow, or like, you Yud, Ve, Ha, Yud, Yud, hey, vah, yes. hey. mm-hmm. So, it would, one, I guess, what my question is, um, is the more proper word a God's actual name, it, would it be Yahweh, or would it be Yehovah? And then also, what was the exact word? Because I'm sure I don't, I don't believe that Moses was actually just given the vowels, you know, of like, why is it transcribed like that? It, was it a different language? Was it Aramaic? Is that, mm. you know, okay. I'm just concerned well, you know, it, about that.
0: Good question, which is actually a great segue yeah. to go right into where we're going next. That's right. What's in the name? So. The uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 3, which is right at the beginning of the passage here today. Uh, God spoke further to Moshe and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Okay, so we see here just a little look under the hood on a couple of things. And then we have with the first one, which here in the New American Standard, they've used the uh, circumlocution, which is the big 50-cent word that just means you are circling around saying something without actually saying it. And that is a circumlocution for another 50-cent word, which is the tetragrammaton, which tetra is four, and grammaton means written. So, tetragrammaton is the four-letter writing. So, those four consonants that you have there in consonant, vowels, you can kind of go back and forth between whether they're consonants or vowels, which yod and he, and wav and he, or vav and he. And how do you pronounce it? Yes. because you'll have all kinds of different ways to pronounce it. There's a big thing that's popular in academia right now, and linguists will say, no. There is a big thing that's been popular in Christian circles, and linguists will say, no. And there's a big thing that's been popular in Judaism for hundreds of years, and that would say, no. So thus, the tradition that has come down to say, we'll not pronounce it, is probably the best way to go about it. Because in a sense, when we encountered it in the passage of uh, Shemot, the first Torah reading, and it says, you know, Yes, I will be who I will be. That is a good way to put it. So is the longer one that we're going to see in Exodus chapter 32. You know, I am, and it goes on. About gracious, long suffering, that is also the name. So which is it? Is it El Shaddai? Yes. Is it Yod He Yes. Is it El Elyon? Yes. Is it Adonai Tzavot or Yod He Wahweh Yes. <laughs> And you can go on and on for about at least, uh, depending on how many different ones you count in there, you're into the hundreds of those variations of them. Are those the name of God? Yes. Because as we've seen as we go through the word, name means what it's known for. Because one of the things we can just see as a, you could say a call or light and heavy approach to it, Now, okay. Big disclaimer: no politics in here. This is just an illustration. When you say United States in the world, do people roll their eyes or do they fear? That's the power of the name. There have been times in history where people said the United States, and they're like, "Oh, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm giving things up right now. We're, we're, we're done." Then there are times where people are like, "Eh, we, we, we don't care," because it it doesn't mean anything they they talk a good game but they don't do anything so we've had monarchs and rulers of various types that, that the same way you know when you, when you had mentioned something somebody like a the name of the kaiser or caesar depending on which one it was they would shake in their boots depending on which one it was they're like eh whatever so that name meant something by what the name did not by just how it's pronounced how you translate it into one language or another language of it what did people think about and also feel down with deep within them when they hear that name and that is a big part of what this whole torah study is here today on this section of vayera Paro had to learn that when he heard that the name of the Lord, no matter which rendition of the name of the Lord was, that that was serious and that he had to pay attention. And when he said, yeah, the earth is mine, to go, okay. Because as we started the book of Shemot, and we saw that there was, and we we mentioned this last week, when there was a Paro that, knew yosef and by extension knew the god of yosef then there was the one we're meeting here in this book here that does not know yosef and you can see does not know who the lord is so that is a big difference between the two of them and he is this paro is now coming to learn what is meant by i am the elohim of avraham i'm the elohim of yitzhak i'm the elohim of yaakov that's also the name of the lord so yes uh, lorilla um one of the
7: things that i have learned having a friend who taught on a kibbutz um you traditionally do not use those vowel points once you're past kindergarten Once you've learned to read, they don't put vowels in anything. So that's most likely why there were no vowels. And then um, just a personal story. Um, We struggled, and we prayed, and we yearned for a child. And so we named him Gift of God. But we named him that in Hebrew. And we had a choice of vowel points. And so we picked a set, Nathaniel. And my son said, why on earth did you name me Nathaniel? Good grief. And I said, well, I could have used the other vowel points. And he said, great. What would my name be? And he said, I said, well, Bartholomew. <laughs> he said, thank you so much for naming me Nathaniel. And I was like, OK. So it's the same name. It's just different vowel points. And the other thing that I want to say is, out of respect, Yeah, I I think of it this way. I don't call, I didn't, when he was alive, call my father Bill. I I didn't think that was respectful. My heavenly father, I don't call him by his first name. And when I'm writing even the word God, if I am talking about my heavenly father, I do as my um, Jewish friends do and leave out the O, just G dash D. out of respect. So I think that that is part of the history. Sometimes you have to know the history and the culture behind what people do. And I really feel like like that's what it is. So, you know, you can you can call your kids whatever you want, but just remember there might be another set of vowel points. That's all I'm saying.
0: So.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and one of those things just to kind of wrap up this discussion, move on cuz this people can go on with this discussion for a long time but just to say you can blaspheme the name of god speaking it absolutely correctly and hold up the name of god speaking it absolutely correctly but it's, again what is it be- you're making the name known for that is what the most important aspect not how it's pronounced but what value are you communicating with that so just to kind of move it again with a call of a homer, if the United States is a name that makes people tremble, and consistently so, when that's mentioned, people tremble. But if the United States no longer becomes something that makes people tremble, you mention that to somebody who needs to pay attention, and they have whatever, roll their eyes and move on with it. Then how much more then do we treat the reputation of the Creator of heaven and earth, so that when we live it out, so that we are known by the name, known that we, known by others that we uphold the name. Do we? Are we lifting up that reputation on the earth, or are we making it fall down? So, uh, yes, uh, Larry, I have a comment or a question there? So we wrap up this section.
8: What you were just saying, it made me think that not,
0: do not take the Lord's name in vain has a whole new meaning that way. Yes, because it's just, uh, strictly speaking, it means to make it of no effect, to make it fall down. And that is one of the things that we explored back uh, when we were looking at John chapter 10 and what was it that they was being levied against Yeshua when they were accusing him of blasphemy. And we went through... the the torah and the prophets and the writings and looked at places where blasphemy is used and you can see by how it is used what that means to my name when the lord says my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you you could see what that's talking about it's not just because you got the pronunciation wrong it's that how are you behaving among the nations also how are you behaving that got you into this situation of being exiled among amongst the nations. That is a revelation in of itself because we see that in the end of Deuteronomy, where you see, hey, people are the nations are gonna pay attention and they're gonna look at my correction of you, Israel, as you get sent in out among the nations, out of the land, and they're gonna say, Well, hey, The Lord is not capable of saving, not capable of doing this and that and the other. So, for the sake of the reputation of the Lord, the life raft of the world, thus, he is going to bring Israel back. And you see that in Ezekiel 36 with that promise that it is for the sake of his name, because that's not just you could. Just put it in human terms, not for the sake of ego, it's for the sake of salvation of the world. They need to depend upon the Lord. So they need to depend upon the promises. So when the Lord makes promises, I'm gonna bring you into the land. Avraham, your through your descendants, all the world is going to be blessed. That promise needs to be fulfilled for the sake of the entire world and everybody in the world. To be able to be called into the kingdom of God, that promise needs to be fulfilled. Even as you see in Ezekiel thirty-six, in spite of the, in spite of the people, their righteousness, still the Lord is going to act to bring Israel back into the land. You know, I come from a tradition that has blown off a large part of the um, prophecies related to Israel. Because they said, well, you know, 1948, they were a bunch of communists who got together and decided we're going to build a bunch of communes there in the Holy Land and we're going to call it Israel. Well, that's not holy. So, thus, the whole endeavor is not holy. No, that's not what you see in the word about why he's bringing the people back. Not because you're so holy or. Even as some traditions have come up, if you keep Shabbat perfectly all the time, then he's going to bring the Mashiach and restore the land. No, that's not what is said in the prophets about why he's restoring the people, why he's fulfilling the promises. It's for the sake of the whole world to be able to trust to have faith in those promises. That's that's what's important. Because otherwise, then you're left with the going back to the well the bible is true even if it's not true and then you're left with picking and choosing well is that part true or is this part true well well what what's my my local um guru say yeah does he has he uh, taken a vote to declare that this part of the bible is true or not true that i can believe it or just eh, throw it aside so that's when we go on and we take a look at this um further We see that El Shaddai here. El Shaddai, there's all kinds of ways that this has been translated over time or understood. Now, For example, the Septuagint version, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that uh, dates to roughly the 3rd to 1st centuries BC. So it's largely before the gospel period and it renders this as um, "Pantocrator," and that can be translated as all-powerful so that's where you get like god almighty from now you'll see some other uh, renditions like in the babylonian talmud in the tractate hagiga uh, folio 12a that they take its uh, derivation from she which in biblical hebrew she in front of a t- attached to a word is a preposition meaning or yeah preposition meaning who or that which is and uh, dai, die or you know the dalit yod and that means enough you know because remember like around passover time die die yenu, dai die ye die you that comes from this same word here about being enough so thus if you have she die that rendering as one way that they have it rendered is one who is sufficient or self-sufficient. And another way the linguists take a look at it is from the root Hebrew verb of Shadad, which means to destroy. So you could render that Shaddai with the Yod being the, um, the first person possessive, meaning my destroyer. So, thus, what you can see in, in that rendering, and we, we will encounter it in the book of Numbers when we get to the um, <laughs> prophet for hire of Balaam or Balaam, because we, we, we know from um, historical aspects that he is known as a prophet of Shaddai and really multiple Shaddais at that particular point in time. Or another way that it can be taken from is from the Akkadian, which is a very old um, Semitic language of Shadu, which means mountain. So thus you'll see some people, you'll probably see a documentary and they'll refer to that as El of the Mountain. So, Or you'll you'll see some documentaries referred to as the, the mountain god. So those are some... Options that people float around and and from the Septuagint going forward as to what El Shaddai is referring to. Well, which brings us back to the the question of where we started from uh, before. Oh, sorry. Go again. Just right before he was about to get the picture and click. (laughs) I I had to make sure I timed that perfectly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So. One of the important testimonies that we have about who the creator is, we get from this passage in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5. And he says, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, and because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So when we talk about the name of the Lord, that is the groaning hearer, the covenant keeper. Those are also names of the Lord. So that is what he is known for, that he hears the groaning, and he responds. He remembers the covenant. Which covenant? Avraham? Yes, remember Avraham, and then also with Yaakov? That's, hey, you know, you're going to go down into the land, but then I'm going to bring you back up out of the land. And same thing to Avraham, hundreds of years before this, that Your descendants are going to go down into the land, but I am going to bring them back up out of the land. So thus, the people sitting there in Mitzrayim, as a part of this promise, this covenant that the Lord has made, thus, the Lord is going to keep this covenant. Not going to leave them down there in Mitzrayim. Not going to leave them in bondage. Didn't forget about them, but rather, he is going to bring them up. So, moving on further, the question that we saw with uh, verses 2 and 3 of Exodus chapter 6, that he said, well, the fathers didn't know me by that name. So, the question is, well, did the patriarchs not know the Holy One by that yod He wah He? And we see earlier, as it's recorded, that there seems to be, yes, that they did. Like Genesis chapter fourteen verse twenty two, Abraham is saying, I lifted up my hands to Yod He and yitzhak and Genesis twenty seven seven said, I will bless you before Yod He and yaakov said there in Genesis 27, twenty seven twenty, Yod made it happen quickly for me. So if the patriarchs did know that name, those that four-letter name, well, what didn't they really know? Because that's what's being said here and communicated to Moshe and to the elders of Israel, that those before didn't know me by that name. They knew you might by El Shaddai, but not by this particular name. But we see, yes, they did. So what is it that's being communicated that these patriarchs did not no, and a hint of that seems to be with this particular passage that we're we're seeing, and that word, the verb that's being used in there in Hebrew, "vayera," which is what comes to be the name of this passage, and I appeared, because this is something that we see is evolving over time in. God's experience and relation with people that you know we see that it's remember starting out in the garden the promise that there will be the seed of the woman then through Noah hey through you through your son Shem this is where it's going to come down through then to Avraham he calls Avraham out Avraham responds that's what he's known for he's known for hearing and responding he's Shema Shema he heard, and he acted. He went forth. Lech lecha, go forth. And he did. And he followed along with that. And when the Lord said, I'm going to make you a numerous nation, even though you're old, your wife is old, you haven't had children, uh, you're going to be a mighty nation through Sarah. And you know, we, go, we saw the various attempts to make that happen by their flesh, rather than from the spirit of God moving. Like the spirit of God, as the spirit of God moved through Miriam for then the birth of Yeshua. so the spirit of God was going to move through Sarai, then Sarah, then a birth of a son, that that miraculous son of Yitzhak. Would be born, so that might be a hint that I appeared, because that verb that is used there of raah uh, to see, as it's uh, rendered there from the theological word book of the Old Testament, it shows up in the Torah account of the first introduction of the name El Shaddai, and you see in Genesis seventeen one, and Yod he wab he appeared. Ra to Avraham, and he said, I am El Shaddai. And so that introduction to El Shaddai also includes how Avraham was to relate to him, because that, that Genesis 17, one goes on and it says, walk before me and be perfect. Walk before me and be perfect. So what does El Shaddai want? Walk before him and be perfect. So, yes, be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, thus, that is, and we talked about this back related to John chapter 10, about the prophecy of the good shepherd. The good shepherd is a great lesson of what God is doing in leading. Uh, Yes, we have a comment or a question over here.
6: I thought uh i heard in some studies when that in the original greek about being perfect it meant
0: more about being mature yes tamim okay yes to be mature so just as jacob has talked about he's being a complete man so someone who is uh completed
6: full body sinful flesh man We ain't gonna be perfect
0: right well it's one of those things that we had seen earlier like when we do our prayer for israel earlier on in our services we include in there that passage from ezekiel and someone might be thinking as they read through that and saying you know you will be perfect in what your righteousness well if you were to take that just stand take that just on face value go oh well my righteousness well, if you read all of Ezekiel, you see what? Your righteousness is diddly squat. Yes, it's bad. The only thing, yes, diddly squat. That's, that's the, uh, quack, the quack version, yes. Um, but just bad. It's not worth much. Because you see earlier renditions in the book of Ezekiel. What is truly at the heart of man? You see lots of revelations in, inside the hearts of the people. Rotten filthiness and such is in the, in the, in the heart of man. So, oh yes, uh, Pat, you've got your hand up there.
2: I do. Um, on being perfect, is it also being perfected as in we are being made more perfect? Yes, And how does that relate to how we are supposed to live? I know it means like we're not giving up gossip and judgment and anger, and a lot of things that we have to do, and also to forgive, even if we don't feel like they need it. How else does that relate to our lives?
0: Yes. Well, you see, a a good lesson in that we've gone to a number of times is in um, the the Apostle Yaakov, or in James chapter 1 where he talks about that. And he talks about, consider it what? Pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And he, because what? The testing of your faith or the testing of your trust develops what? Perseverance and then goes on until what? You're mature and complete, lacking nothing. Yes, so Christ be formed within you. That is what these trials and things that we go through, the stubbornness that we have, of our trust, but also being courageous in our trust to that big 50 cent word, persevere through these various things that we face. But also one of the things you see in James chapter one is it says, when you go through these things, do what? Ask for wisdom, seek wisdom. Why is this going on? Don't be double-minded, being tossed back and forth by these things. Because, you know, we in our lives, and you've probably seen other people, things happen in their lives, and they're just, just like a ship that is at the mercy of the sea. Uh, yes, Carrie?
3: Well, I was just thinking, <clears throat> sometimes we get the idea of perfection. It means avoiding all of those things and, mm. and never making a mistake, <laughs> yes. which is not possible for anyone. No. We know that. So which is the reason why the tour includes things like restitution and Mm. sacrifice and things like that. So it's not about never failing on those. It's about what we do about the restoration after we do. And that's what makes us whole again, or if we're making our neighbor whole again because we hurt them or Mm -hmm. something like that.
0: Yes, and kind of getting a good nudge to find out why it was that we had those problems to begin with. Um, Yes, uh, Alex, you've got a comment or a question over there
8: plague the plagues and whatnot and i was trying to summarize that in my mind and thanks to carrie i did it is a restitution yes And we all you know it's just a hardship that's that was his pharaoh's world i can i can deal with frogs and is what he's saying and and it's only hurting his people too so he didn't really care about them too much yeah. wasn't really hitting him too hard and you know you can you can just keep holding on to your world but you've really Move toward restitution or uh, uh, live a life of repentance. Until you do that, you just go over and over again. It's like the alcoholic. Yes. Killing his family. He's drunk and does it. And, well, I'm never drinking that much again. Well, doggone it, there comes the next night.
0: Yes, indeed.
8: You know, it can be seen that simply with Pharaoh
0: exactly and we we see that with as it's coming up on one of the the last ones we see in here where he's got this you could say breakdown moment where he's finally saying i've sinned but what after the problem goes away then what he's like he gets Strengthened in his stubbornness again, back to the bar, he gets right back into his old way of life and just saying, "No, I'm I'm not going to uh, let let the Lord be the winner of this particular one." So we see in this particular introduction to El Shaddai there in Genesis seventeen one that after talking about walk before me and be perfect, that we saw previously, that there had been two key leaders of Israel, both uh, Hanoch, or Enoch, and Noah, Noah, who walked with Elohim. Now, specifically, we, we know what? We know Hanoch, specifically, he walked from God, and then he was not, or various translations put that, and he was taken away, etc., so we, we have that illustration, and we also have the illustration of Noah walking with God. But one of the ideas that we have with Avram was that he was to lifanay, or to walk lifanay, walk before me. That's the Lord was saying, walk before me. Not just walk with me, but walk before me. And then you could say, well, this... This is, uh, this is just kind of a, a prepositional battle here. Are we, you know, how they teach the prepositions to kids? You know, are you over the cloud, under the cloud, through the cloud, beside the cloud, in front of the cloud, behind the cloud, and all your uh, learn how your prepositions go based on where you are with the cloud. So when you're talking with the Lord and walking, does it matter if you're walking next to the cloud, so to speak? Or, as it's saying, walk before the cloud. Does that really actually matter and such? And that has come to be (laughs) a very interesting debate with one of the other names for the Lord, and that is shepherd, the shepherd of Israel. So the question is, is that walking before the sheep, walking in front, does the shepherd work? Walking in front of the sheep or walking alongside the sheep, Walking behind the sheep, and a, a lot of what you see, and you can see it, kind of is a cultural difference between cultures. When we were in in Uganda, we saw lots of <laughs> uh, livestock drives right down the middle of the street. And where was the, that? That's not that's not Uganda. <laughs> uh, that's that's Italy right there. Uh, but. We saw a lot of livestock drives, and Tammy actually got a picture of it, but I couldn't find it. Well, the shepherd was where? Behind. He was behind this whole line of cattle and goats that he was leading. They were at least like five car lengths ahead of him was the whole line of it, and they were just following right along. And one of the things that's like, well, does it matter if you're in front of the sheep or beside or behind the sheep, does that really matter and well it 's interesting when you talk about they know where they 're going. One of the things that that has come up with the idea of behavioral science in animals is that they, sheep are kind of like flocks of birds. You might have seen the, what they talk about the um, um, the balls of uh, flocks of birds when they like starlings and such that will move and turn like this. And like, how do they do that? Well, what it is, and, and fish also do that. Well, what they've, people have studied this of saying, well, what happens is, is that one will see out of the corner of their eye, one will move. And it's just like a split second, like instinct reaction to move the same direction. And the same thing works with um, livestock as well, especially with sheep, is that they will feel the nudge of the other sheep around them and then move. So all the shepherd has to do is nudge the sheep in the back, and it will quickly ripple through the entire uh, flock up to the front to get them to move. So that's one of those things um, that, for sheep at least, leading from the back can be as effective as leading from the front. But it is an interesting picture that we see with the prepositions that are used about walking before me. People have wondered, well, if you're walking in front of someone, we, we, we talked about this just actually last week, and about how uh, when you're talking about addressing elders, that you address the disciples before the master. Why? Why? Because commonly the disciples follow in front, or I should say, really, you could say they follow in front of the master. They precede him. So, thus, when you are greeting the students, you're indeed starting to greet the master. Because why? You should be learning how to walk. By whom? Your master. Because if you always follow, just someone right in front of you it's yeah, how do you learn you're you're not encountering things first, your master is encountering things first, so one of the questions then comes up is one way that you'll see some of the sages and other commentators through hundreds of years have looked at this, and perhaps you're seeing El Shaddai as a name of. One who acts but really is not seen directly, versus Yod He Wauhe is one who acts and you do see. We've mentioned this related to the Melech Yahweh, or Melech Yod He Wauhe, the agent of Yod He Wauhe. What appears? El I not appearing. But agent of the angel of the Lord does appear. So what you see is people saying, Well, it seems that perhaps one way to look at Yahweh Yodhe is that it is the one who acts while being seen out in out in pure view. And thus when you see the descriptions we see earlier in Shemot, you know is. I am who I am I will be who I will be and showing up there in in full uh, power to actually break the power so Paro doesn't know the Lord well he's getting an introduction just one after another after another he keeps getting this interaction and introduction and saying well who are we finally going to submit to? So a number of the sages say, well, it's very interesting that you see then after this two to 400 years, depending on what count you take of the descent down into Egypt and then the time of the Exodus, where you have the one who is not seen and then goes out of sight of the people who are in the land. But then... Vayera, he appears. He appears and then says, I am going to deliver you. So it's very interesting then that you see another point in time in history, in the history of the people of God, where you have a time period where the people are left wondering, where are you? Adonai, where are you? And that time that you see uh, the time of when the last prophets are prophesying and when you have the Mashiach show up it's another roughly four century period it's kind of a rough figure there so it, it is a very interesting picture that we have of the yod heh is being a name that is one who is appearing and um, another one that you'll see as we encounter in our next passage is like the one who comes, who shows up. So, thus, and we'll, we'll see that uh, as it moves on forward, we saw the Yod He Wahe show up in the bush, the burning bush. And then we're going to go back to the mountain where the bush was, where the Lord is going to make an even bigger. Appearance there with the fire and the cloud up on the mountain to make it even bigger appearance So that's kind of where we'll leave things out here today. Uh, yes, Larry the go ahead I Have a comment or a question
8: while we were uh, going through the readings at the beginning. Yes. We got the revelations. Yes, and I was struck by the similarity between the cups and the plagues of Egypt
0: Yes, there's a whole lot of similarities, and um, what we'll, we'll bring uh, next week is a uh, kind of a more of a chart where you can just put them side by side and see which plagues show up with which bowls, because you have got bowls and plagues in Revelation, and it's interesting to see where they line up with all of the plagues of Egypt as well. So yes, I'm. Glad, glad you, uh, you noticed that, because when you see in Revelation 12, 13, think 15 and 16, um, those where they talk about the trumpets and the, and the bowls, um, there is a lot of parallels between um, the day of the Lord and the plagues upon Egypt. And for a lot of the same reason, because if you were to sort of see what was happening with the person who was supposed to get this message, Pharaoh, and then also the whole world was going to know through power. Oh, they were The whole world was going to know who the Lord is. Well, then how much more what we see in the day of the Lord that's described in Revelation, it, the people who should be finding out what is going on. Because this is going to be a message not to just to one leader of one country, but to many leaders of many countries are then... And they, and they still will, will curse him. And it's, it's a very interesting thing that you see with, in Revelation with all the trumpets, with all the bowls, all these things that get poured out. Still you wonder why then people then will still rise up to attack the city of God. Why would you do that? But we, we see the same thing with Paro. Chavod, Chazak. Those same things with Paro, You'll see in the day of the Lord, people will be stubborn and they'll be courageous in their positions, whether for the Lord or against the Lord. (laughs) And it's sad that we have to get these messages again and again, but the, the condition of the human heart has been the same throughout time. And until the final restoration of all things, it will continue.